Hello, and welcome to A Satanist Reads the Bible, exploring the Bible, Christianity, and other religions and their sacred texts through the lens of Satanism in order to reinvent religion for myself. This is the third episode. This is new content. This is something I've been writing over probably about the last three weeks. But uh, as I discussed in the last episode, I'm trying to I'm trying to play catch up while also producing new content. Uh, I'm trying to catch up on trying to get all of my old essays. Uh, I think I'm up to about forty at this point in podcast format, along with along with whatever new content I'm producing on a weekly basis. So I'm trying to get two podcasts out per week, one new content, one old content. This is the new content. Uh, I have a pop filter now. I put a pop filter in front of my microphone, so hopefully that should improve the sound quality a little bit. And I've been uh, producing my own music. I've, I've done this from the first episode, but I've been uh, producing my own music to use as... Um, as bumps. So when you hear the when you hear musical interludes between sections, that's me. Uh, okay. So first of all, uh, I'm gonna I'm going to get to the main content here in just a second. But I want to let you know that uh, if you enjoy this, uh, if you find this useful, if you find it interesting, please like it, rate it five stars, whatever platform you're listening to it on, whatever is the appropriate thing to do for that for that platform. Um, if you go to my blog, asatanistreadsthebible.com, you'll find links to my Patreon page where you can sign up, you can support my work. Uh, also, my essays have affiliate links to the books that I talk about. You can click through and buy those books. And uh, that, that, uh, that puts money in my pocket that I can use to improve the improve the blog and the podcast and to to allow me to take more time during the week researching writing recording all the different work i need to do to make this the awesome informative thing that i want it to be so i would really appreciate your support if you just tell other people about it that would be a great help as well so let's get into it so this week uh the essay is belief and identity My partner and I recently watched the movie Behind the Curve, a documentary about modern flat-earth societies. For those who may be unaware, the hypothesis espoused by modern flat-earth societies is that the Earth is not, in fact, an oblate spheroid, in other words, a globe, but rather a flat disk, and that the near-universal acceptance of the globe-Earth hypothesis is the result of national and global conspiracies which promote that view for various reasons. For example, to indoctrinate people into a model of the world that does not reflect biblical cosmology, but other reasons are given as well. Behind the Curve is a brilliant and entertaining documentary, good for an easy laugh at the catastrophically ignorant, but also a bit concerning given the apparent prevalence of such people. Nevertheless, a, f a fascinating window into the psychology and sociology of belief. What has remained with me most strongly was that the Flat Earth Hypothesis is not only what various Flat Earthers documented in the film believe, but also a core component of their identities as persons. After watching Behind the Curve, I wondered how this phenomenon might relate to religious belief. That's the question I examine here. First up, what exactly is belief? 
After all, we can't really be doing philosophy if we're not adding a great deal of complication to terms that most of us already think we understand. This is a question related to the broader question of what is knowledge, in other words, the epistemological question, which is one of the central questions of philosophy and far too broad a topic to be taken up here. For our purposes, it will be sufficient to go forward from the standard model of knowledge, justified true belief. This helps to clarify what beliefs are. Certain kinds of beliefs are knowledge, and certain kinds aren't. To use the Google definition, beliefs are things which are accepted as true, but given our definition for knowledge, they may not be. And I'm just going to bypass entirely the quagmire of what truth is. So, beliefs are things that we think are true, but which may or may not be. And what's the difference between knowledge and a belief that happens to be true? Justification. One must have valid reasons for believing that something is true for that belief to be knowledge. To take an example, I believe that my cats are, at the moment, downstairs on their cat beds. I have reason for this belief. That's where they were when I last saw them, and that's where they usually are around this time of day. They need their rest for the nocturnal mischief that begins nightly at the exact moment I get comfortable in bed. But in the case that that's actually where they are right now, I can't say that I knew that because I lacked sufficient justification. It was at least possible for them to have moved without me being aware of their having done so. Getting back to the specifics of the topic, how would my sense of identity change if I believed that my cats were downstairs on their cat beds, but then, upon inspection, found them to be elsewhere? Not in the slightest, so clearly not all of our beliefs com comprise our belief identities. How would my sense and belief identity, so I'm coining, I'm coining a hyphenated term there because we're doing real philosophy here on A Satanist Reads the Bible, and you can't be doing real philosophy if you're not coining hyphenated neologisms. How would my sense of identity change if it were proved that the world was indeed flat? That would be seismic. A great deal of my worldview is grounded in the natural sciences, which would have been proven entirely unreliable. My belief that the world is consistent and coherent is likewise grounded in the natural sciences. I could trust in nothing, not even myself, because even the notion of trust would be suspect. Should such a thing be proven, I do indeed expect that my very identity would be grievously injured. Might it be possible, then, that I cling to a faith in the natural sciences not only because of their inherent validity, but because to do otherwise would threaten my entire reality and my very being? If the natural sciences are indeed a valid means of attaining knowledge, as I believe them to be, does that threat matter? The linguistic aspect of the problem points toward the psychological substrate at work. No one leads with, I believe in Christianity, but rather, I am a Christian. This applies to me as well. I don't think of myself as someone who holds satanic beliefs. Rather, I am a Satanist. While problems may arise from this conflation of belief and identity, it's clearly unavoidable and actually entirely reasonable. After all, our identities are themselves belief systems, which may include non-knowledge belief— in other words, beliefs that are not true or that are true without sufficient justification for knowledge. For example, I think most of us have met at some point in our lives some liars or thieves who honestly believe themselves to be good, honest people. So, our identities are belief systems which may include non-knowledge beliefs, and our identities being mental models of who we are must necessarily be inclusive of what we believe. And from this we get belief identity, an identity rooted in a belief system. At this point, we might ask the question, where is the line between being a Christian and having some Christian beliefs? 
I'm certainly curious about that, but of more immediate relevance are the problems that arise from this intermingling of belief and identity. So we'll put that aside for the moment and take it as an established, uh, take it as established that there may be some line between the two, but that at some point along the spectrum people take on belief identities. Towards the end of Behind the Curve, the psychologist Dr. Per Espen Stokeness comments, Say you lose faith in this thing. What then happens to my personal relationships? Will the mainstream people welcome me back? No, they couldn't care less. But have I now lost all of my friends in this community? Yes, so suddenly you're doubly isolated. Ideally, our beliefs should conform to our best understanding of the world, and should this understanding change, our beliefs should as well. But it is possible that one might be unwilling to allow their beliefs to conform to their best understanding of the world because of the practical implications that such would entail. This is enough of a problem that a nonprofit organization, the Clergy Project, was founded in 2011 in order to assist priests who no longer held Christian beliefs but who could not easily extricate themselves from their positions due to societal complications. Along these lines, Mark Sargent, the flat earth advocate who is the focus of Behind the Curve, says in the documentary that he couldn't leave flat earth even if he wanted to. This would certainly explain at least in part, the difficulties of religious dialogue and dialogue associated with other belief identities, such as the political. If my partner were to come into my office right now and inform me, for some reason, that the cats are in our bedroom rather than downstairs on the cat beds, well, nothing really to be said about that. I was mistaken, but it doesn't much matter to anyone. If my partner asked me to pick up something important from the store and I, believing that they had asked me to get something different, got the wrong thing, that might have some serious consequences and I would certainly feel badly when the mistake came to light. But I would accept that my belief was mistaken, do what I could to correct it, and move on. But if I were to even just challenge a Christian's belief in the divinity of Jesus, I expect I would face some serious backlash. But why should this be the case? Why should... I see you're wearing a cross, but I don't think that Jesus was the Son of God. Be any different from, I overheard you saying you need to buy tickets, but you're in the will call line. We all find ourselves mistaken about things from time to time. Why would one not look at this as just another potential case of mistaken belief from which one can learn and progress? The reason is that, if it's a belief identity in question, then it is not just the belief that is being threatened, but the identity as well. An attack on the belief is necessarily perceived as an attack on the person. And it's not just a function of whether our beliefs are structurally incorporated into our identities, but also how our beliefs are so incorporated. In A Thousand Plateaus, the philosopher Gilles Deleuze and the psychotherapist Félix Gotari propose the notion of the rhizome as a model for knowledge, and potentially for society as well. What is rhizomatic is decentralized. All the parts connect to each other without any sort of hierarchy between them. This notion is contrasted with the arborescent, where, like a tree, roots and branches of knowledge are connected in hierarchies to form a core trunk. In The Nationalist Revival, John B. Judas proposes a model of nationalism and cosmopolitanism that makes Deleuze and Guattari's theory manifest, though I don't think that Judas was drawing from Deleuze and Guattari in any way. Nationalism is an arborescent model in which certain facets of identity— Nationality, religion, race, language, social class, are coextensive with each other, forming a trunk of self, whereas those who are more cosmopolitan are more rhizomatic, lacking central structures of identity that would alone primarily define their identities. 
As Judas describes, religion and nationalism are deeply intertwined. Quoting, For many people, the most important gateway to nationalist sentiment is through religious belief and observance, unquote. And given an arborescent belief structure, we have a situation in which an attack on one's religious belief is simultaneously an attack on one's national identity and vice versa, both of which being an attack as well on the person. And so meaningful dialogue becomes even more difficult. A further complicating factor is that people may indeed have mistaken beliefs about their own beliefs. For an example of this, consider the data from the eminent Baylor Religion Survey from 2014, one of the most comprehensive surveys of American religiosity ever attempted. In a question in which options for a more cosmic, pantheist, impersonal conception of God were available, 62.7% of participants stated that they had no doubt that God exists. In a separate study conducted by Newberg and Waldman and detailed in their book How God Changes Your Brain, which is a much better book than the title would indicate. It deals with religion and neurology without making any realist metaphysical claims. In the study in this book, 75% of the participants drew and then described God in entirely pantheist impersonal terms. Such a remarkable discrepancy wants for an explanation. Either one or the other survey exhibited some sort of significant bias, and I have no reason to believe that that's the case, or a substantial portion of the population does not fully understand their own beliefs about God. So now we have the plausibility of people identifying as a particular belief identity while not actually holding the core requisite beliefs. Similarly, while I don't have any hard data on the matter, I think it's likely that most Christians believe that they are following the religion established by Jesus of Nazareth and believe that, indeed, that's what Christianity is. But this is not quite true. As I've written before... And in the essay, this is linked to one of my other essays, In Search of the Religion of Jesus. Jesus preached an apocalyptic Judaism to the Jewish people, and the doctrine of his having been crucified so that people might attain justification with God, which I would argue is in fact the core belief of Christianity, was not part of his message. What became the Christian religion was founded by Paul the Apostle as a religion about Jesus and his crucifixion. Paul himself admitted that he was entirely unfamiliar with Jesus' actual teachings. And even the religion of Paul was oriented towards an apocalypse, which he expected in the near future. The religion that Christianity is today is not something that was established by Jesus, but rather something that it became in the centuries following his death. And this is not to say that modern Christianity has no potential viability as a religion, but only to demonstrate again that what people think they believe and what they actually believe may be two entirely different things. The two cases presented above are distinct but related. In the first case, people are aware of their beliefs but interpret them in an inaccurate way. In the second case, people people believe things about their beliefs that are simply inaccurate on a factual level. But in both cases, we have systems of belief and thus systems of identity that are predicated on error. But what about me? Is it possible that I do, or may at some point in the future, hold the Satanism more out of habit and security of identity than out of actual belief. My religion as a Satanist is almost entirely non-realist, so I'm not making any ontological claims that could be disproven. Largely, it's a way of framing within a particular symbolic context what it is that I know and believe. So the religious claim that I am making is that Satanism is a valid and useful way of framing the world in a religious context. But what if that should be proven false? The circumstance I described above in which it were proven that the flat-earth hypothesis is true would accomplish exactly that. 
The notion that science is a means of gaining an accurate understanding of the world is central to my satanic outlook, so such a confirmation would indeed threaten my religion and my belief identity as a satanist. It is my hope and intention that I would face up to that even in the face of total disintegration of my identity, rather than continue to cling to false belief out of a need for security of identity. So what then is to be done about this problem in general? I think the first step is that we no longer pretend that we can criticize ideas without simultaneously criticizing people. Maybe, in an ideal world, belief and identity would be non-overlapping magisteria. But that is not the world we live in, and people are their beliefs, whether we like it or not, though it remains necessary that all ideas be subject to criticism. The corollary to this is that people be aware that they may be attacked on a personal level, albeit unintentionally, should ideas with which they choose to identify fall under attack. My hope is that they would, paradoxically, not take it personally. All right, so one thing I was thinking of when I was writing this was what it would be like to have a conversation with someone who has Christian beliefs but who does not claim to be a Christian. That would be a really interesting conversation. Um, I imagine someone saying, yeah, uh, so, the, so the conversation would start, I would ask them, so you're a Christian? They would say, no, no, I'm not a Christian. I hold Christian beliefs. Okay, all right. What beliefs specifically? Well, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, and was crucified so as to rectify, so as to so as to justify humanity with God, uh, to rectify original sin. Which, as I stated in the essay, that's that's kind of what I understand Christianity to be. So I would say, okay, all right, but you're not a Christian. No, I'm not a Christian. So this seems. Like, I would have a difficult time even thinking that the person wasn't being deliberately obstinate. I would have a difficult time believing that this person was even being sincere in what they were telling me. How could you believe that but not be a Christian? One could, uh, one could attribute um, a similar conversation to, to another religion, for example, Islam. Um, so someone might say, I believe that there is one God and that Muhammad is the messenger of God and that the Quran is the message received by Muhammad and given to the world. Okay, that's, I mean, in, in Islam in particular, that's the Shahada, the declaration of faith, qualifies you as a Muslim rather than just as someone who holds Islamic beliefs. So, so this seems really baked into the cake of our conception of how belief works, is that certain beliefs are inextricably belief identities, that we can't separate ourselves from this or separate others from this, even if we wanted to. So this is a tricky thing. But as I said, it's not necessarily a problem. I think it's just something that we need to be aware of in terms of understanding religious belief. I think it's something that we need to be aware of in terms of ourselves so that we recognize 
if we're in a discussion with someone and it's a heated discussion over politics or religion or whatever, and we feel personally attacked, well, that's a good opportunity to kind of step away from that and look at that situation and say, oh, look at this. I'm identifying with my beliefs. My beliefs are under attack. I feel I'm under attack. Is that really the situation? Am I, as a person, really under attack here? Possibly, certain arguments against politics, religion, whatever topic, can be framed as an argument against the person. There's an entire class of, of, uh, of fallacy surrounding that, the ad hominem attack, which is uh, an attack at the person rather than at the argument. But it might be more the case that it's just an entanglement of our beliefs and our identities that is unavoidable, but nevertheless that we might not want to buy into too much, especially in heated discourse. And it's also something that we would want to be aware of for other people. So that if we start criticizing someone's ideas and in doing so entirely non-ad hominem way, trying to focus on the ideas themselves and um, doing so as charitably as possible, maybe the other person will react really strongly and will say, wait, 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 wait. I'm just, I'm not attacking you. I'm just saying that I think some of your beliefs, some of your ideas are mistaken. Which kind of brings to mind, it's, it is difficult to say that someone else is wrong or it's difficult to be told that you're wrong about something because that, that necessarily leads to the question, why, why is that person wrong about this thing? Is it ignorance? Is it stupidity? Is it um, any number of character flaws? Well, may very well be. But even the best of us, even the smartest of us, are wrong about some things. It's unavoidable. So that's something we have to step back from as well, is that notion of oh, I'm being called wrong, so I'm being called stupid, or I'm somebody's saying that one of my ideas are wrong, so they're saying that I'm just ignorant and haven't done the research. So I think as inextricable as this problem is, it's, it's, I think it's something that we can approach best just by being aware of it and trying to understand and trying to suss out that connection between our beliefs and our identities and how we construct our identities, which gets into a whole other question about what identity is, what the ego is, what the self is. That's something I've written before. Uh, I've got an essay called, uh, what is it? Um, Satanism, Satanism, the self and ego death. So I've got a whole essay on that one already, which will... I think that's kind of in the middle of the series, so that'll be a while before I get to that one as a podcast. But it is available to read in essay format if you're one of those people who still reads blogs, and I thank you for that. All right, that's going to be it for today, so I'm going to sign off here. Thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you so much for, for being part of my audience, and uh, I hope you'll check out my other podcasts, uh, check out my Patreon, check out my affiliate links like, subscribe, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Thank you again. Alves Satanas.